So today we're going to talk about a theology of work. What does God have to say in his word about work, and how can we learn about God um, as we study his word, as we talk about work together? In the Bible, um, in the Bible, there's the Sabbath that's talked about, and, and Sabbath is that day of rest, and Labor Day is that, that day of rest from working. Um, Hebrews back in biblical times, but then also I- even today, they refer to Sabbath as Shabbat. Shabbat, it's a, it's a day of rest. It's a day of setting aside yourself to be able to be replenished, and I hope that that's what you're doing this Labor Day weekend and uh, tomorrow specifically um, as we celebrate Labor Day. God's got a whole lot to say in his word about work, and we're going to get to that here in just a moment. But, um, but I was looking this week, and um, I want you to know that it's rare that I ever write my own jokes, okay? Because I'm just not a good joke writer. I just, I just own, it, own it here from the very beginning. I'm just not a real good joke writer. But I found some really good jokes about work. I thought they were really good. You may not. Um, I guess we're going to see from the response here in just a moment. But, um, but here's an example, okay? There was the person who said, um, I, uh, I gave up my seat on the bus to a blind person. And um, that's how I lost my job as a bus driver. Uh, okay, so that was kind of, kind of there a little bit, all right? Okay. Another person said, our computers at work went down today, so we had to do everything by hand. Had to do it manually. Um, they said it was really frustrating because it took me 20 minutes to shuffle the cards for solitaire. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Ailing, for that obnoxious laugh. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, how about this one? There's a new trend in our office. Um, everyone is putting their names on their food. And I saw that today as I'm eating a sandwich named Kevin. By the way, if you do that, please don't, okay? Please, please don't eat somebody else's food. That's very frustrating. Not that it happens in our church office. It doesn't. Very often. I'm sorry, Pastor Harper. (laughs) To make an error at work is human. To blame it on somebody else is management potential. Yeah. Here's a good one. You've probably heard. Actually, I know I've told this one before, so I know you've heard it before. Um, when I got to work this morning, my boss stormed up to me and he says, you missed work yesterday, didn't you? And I said, no, not particularly. <laughs> yeah, you only laugh at that one because you've heard it before. All right. But, um, but listen, work is such a huge part of our lives. We, send, we spend so much time in our lives working, and whether that's in a vocational job or working from home or working at home, because um, if you are a stay-at-home parent, you are very much a, a, a worker. Um, in, the, in the Bible, in fact, in the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word that is, that is used for work. It's the word avada. Avada. It's used over 800 times all throughout the Old Testament. And it's, it's the word that's used most often for work, but it's also a, a word that's used for the word worship. Now, we don't think about our work as worship very often, but God does. And his word, most of the time, these two words are connected that, that we, we worship God by our work. When Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, they were placed there to worship God. And one of the the ways that they worshiped God was by working. God gave them an assignment to do, and so they carried out the assignment. And as they were carrying out the assignment, they were worshiping God. So we don't think about this idea of working and worshiping together very often, but it very much goes together. As we work as Christians, we are worshiping God. You know, we always worship something. 
Always, always. I mean, sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's the thrill of accomplishing something. Sometimes it's, um, it, it honestly could be any number of things. But for the Christian, our act of work is an act of worshiping God. Uh, you think about it. He gave us the ability. He gave us the means by which to work. So he's, he's worthy of that worship. So let's talk here for a little bit about what it means to, uh, what God has to say about, about worship. I sat down, um, I sat down, not worship, what God has to say about work and worship together, okay? Um, I sat down this past wor- week and I was working on, um, just kind of thinking about what does the Bible have to say about work? And I was thinking, okay, I'll come up with typical sermon, you know, three or four points. I came up with 12 things, okay? And you're like, wait a minute, if you spend all the time you typically spend on one point, we're going to be here until Labor Day tomorrow. We're not going to do that though, okay? We're going we're to spend a little bit of time on these 12 things, but here's 12 things that God has to say about work. I'm sure there's many, many more. But these are ones that I wrote down, okay? First of all, and you can follow along in your handout as we go through this, okay? But first, acknowledge God as your employer. Acknowledge God as your employer. Now, it does not say there, acknowledge your employer as God, right? Some employers may appreciate that, but that's not what it says at all. It says, we're talking about acknowledging God as our employer. Now, we may get our paychecks from an employer or a supervisor or a company, we, we, we take direct orders from a certain person most of the time or the company at large. But we, um, as Christians, ultimately work for God. The Bible's clear about that. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 25, uh, Paul is speaking to the Colossian church, and he writes this. He says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, this is talking about employees-employer relationship as a whole, Okay. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Talking about there's no partiality with God. In Ephesians, uh, when we were working through this series in Ephesians, we talked several months ago about what it means to serve God, to honor God as we serve and honor our earthly supervisors. And we, we talked about how we work for a higher authority than just the person that signs our paychecks. Secondly, spend your earnings wisely. Spend your earnings wisely. You go to work and you bring home a paycheck or you can say, I go, go to work and I bring home the bacon, right? I've heard that many, many times. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce, all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, a lot of people would use that verse. A lot of uh, pastors would use that verse or ministry leaders would use that to say, hey, listen, you take the money that you earn, you send it into my ministry, and I can promise you that God will bless you tenfold, a hundredfold what you send in. And we've heard that before. We've heard people use that kind of illustration, but that's not what God's talking about at all there. What God's talking about through his word here in Proverbs is that that our tithe and our giving to the mission of God is, is not going to bring the biggest and the best that this world has to offer. But I can tell you, because I've seen it firsthand, that when we use our earnings wisely in a way that honors God, He provides above and beyond what we could ever expect. Time and time again, when, when Hillary and I have sensed the Holy Spirit leading us to be generous in one way or another, 
And it's not like we can give a whole lot of money when he, we, we, we follow him in that. We see him bless. And he doesn't turn around and bless us all the time with the same amount that we gave or many, many, much more. But what we find is that God's storehouses are full and that his provision never, ever, ever, ever fails. So we, while we may give sacrificially, God in turn takes care of us. Also think about 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2 that says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now what Paul, what Paul is talking about there is that he's going to come to this church in Corinth, and when he comes, he's going to gather money that they have given to go and take and give to other churches in need, other people, Christians in need. But in context of this verse, what we understand is that we are to be intentional to make sure that we are spending our earnings wisely. We have to plan to meet future needs. We have to use those earnings to make sure that they're ready for, for whatever may come in the future. All right, number three, give your best effort. Give your best effort. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with what? With your, let's try that again. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. In other words, go after it. Do the very best job that you can do. There are very few things that are going to ruin your testimony like taking the easy way out or taking a shortcut with a job that you've been given to do. When you have been given an assignment or a job or, or, um, or, or whatever it is that you've, you've been given to do, anything less than that is not acceptable. Uh, Dr. Jerry Falwell used to say that if it's Christian, it ought to be better. In other words, we hold ourselves to the standard that God has set for us. He gave his best. He gave everything for our salvation. He gave Jesus for us. So when we have been employed to do a job or we volunteer to do a job or, or we've committed to do something, whatever the context is, we are ultimately serving God because he has given his best for us. We in turn give our best for whatever it is we've, we're doing. My brother, up until a couple of years ago, worked for a water company. And, um, and I asked him one day, I said, how do you like working for the water company? And he said, I like the work for the most part. He said, but um, you know how when you're driving down the road and there's a crew working beside the road and you see four guys standing outside the hole in the ground and you see one guy in the hole in the ground with a shovel. Um, he, he, said, uh, he said, honestly, I feel like that one guy in the hole all the time. He said, I, I'm about the only one who gets down and, and really puts forth the best effort. And he ended up leaving the job because that was the case eventually. Now, my brother is a hard worker. He's a go-getter. He was going to give his best effort no matter what other people did. But that's the kind of attitude that we should all have. Doesn't matter what it is that, we, that we're doing, give your best effort. Whatever you can do to make sure that you do your best, that's what, that's what you do. Next, number four, be honest. Be honest. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, really speaks to this, and it, and it hits home. Because it's a whole lot easier for us to lie or to fudge the facts than it is to tell the truth sometimes. There are times that nobody would have a clue if we were dishonest about something regarding our work. But here's what God says, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. 
Now, this really goes back to, um, to Bible times when, uh, when payment was made based on maybe you're purchasing something or there's a service that's been rendered to you and so you're making payment for that, what would happen is that the money would be weighed. They didn't have the, the system that we have today in the United States where there's a quantity with a value attached to every um, item of, of, of coin. Um, they had to weigh the money to see, all right, how much do you owe? So today when I go pay for something, they say it's $17.10, and so I give $17.10. Well, in that day, there would be a scale, and, and you would put your, your payment on the scale, and it would be weighed to make sure that you're paying the right amount. The problem is that a dishonest person would fabricate the scales to make you pay more than you're supposed to pay for whatever service was rendered. And it was dishonest. The scales would be wrong. And what Proverbs is saying here is that the, the false balance is an abomination to the Lord. But a just or a right weight is his delight. In today's culture, uh, that dishonesty oftentimes looks more like uh, poor quality work or, or taking advantage of somebody who doesn't know any better. God hates a liar and a dishonest person. God deals fairly in everything that he does. There's no partiality with God in all that he does, and he expects us to do the same as Christians, to deal fairly with the people around us. So be honest in your workplace. Number five, avoid self-sufficiency. Avoid self-sufficiency. Now, we know what self-sufficiency is. It's, it's, the, um, it's the thought or the action that says, I've got it all together. Um, I can do all of this myself without any kind of help. It's the thought that I'm safe. Um, I can handle life on my own. But Psalms 127, verse 1, Pastor Dwayne read this for us earlier. Here's what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And what the psalmist is saying is that we can make some really great plans, but if God is not in those plans, every bit of it could be gone. When, uh, when Hillary and I were in college, she had a professor who had invested every bit of his money. I'm talking like all of his savings, his retirement, everything he had in one stock. And he was convinced that this one stock was going to give him financial security for the rest of his life. It was going to take care of his family for the rest of their lives. Then one day he came into class and class is sitting there and he's visibly shaking. He's crying even. He dismissed the class without even, without even teaching them. Because all that money that he had put in that one stock was gone. Every bit of it. All of his life savings up to that point were gone. You see, he had, he had put his stock literally, but his stock in life in this money, self-sufficiency, and it was all gone, every bit of it. He had nothing left. What makes us think that we can control what happens in this world? Any of it. Honestly, we can't control any of it. I think COVID has really shown us that. Self-sufficiency is that close-fisted person who holds onto the control as much as they can. But the person who trusts in the Lord just approaches life with open hands. God, you take my occupation. You take my family. You take my life. And you do what you see fit with it. The cool thing is that um, Jesus says that God cares about us. He even cares. If he cares so much for the birds of the air, what makes us think that he won't care for us also? 
We may not always have all that we want, but he's going to care for us. Self-sufficiency says, I can take care of myself. I don't need God. Number six, strive to be a blessing to others. Strive to be a blessing to others. Now, we, we know what it's like to come across a person who wants to make sure you are taken care of. They care about you. They're others-minded. They've got you in mind in, in, in everything that they do, and whether that's friends, coworkers, customers, whatever it is, they want to be a blessing to other people. But this really goes further to apply to those who have the ability to do so, to sharing with other people who may have a need of some kind. Um, when we are a blessing to others, oftentimes it just comes in the form of a very simple way that we help meet their need. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but la- rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now being a blessing is... Um, huge for a Christian. Being a blessing to another person is vital. The early church modeled this for us as they were getting started. They were sharing with other people, whoever had a need, hey, I've got, I've got what you need. I can share it with you. Being the pastor um, of the church, I often have a, have a front row seat for this as you share with other people who have need. Sometimes I have somebody come up to me and they say, hey, listen, would you give this to such and such person? I know that they have a need, uh, but I don't want them to know that I'm the one who, who, who is meeting that need. And I can pass it along. And man, the incredible blessing that that is to other Christians. In the workplace, it works the same way. And God allows us to be involved in people's lives and be a blessing to them. He allows us to use the earnings that we've received to be a blessing to other people. Number seven, develop your skill sets. Develop your skill sets. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Then Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and, glorif- and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Exodus chapter 31, we see the first time that any specific mention is made in the Bible to a person being filled with the Holy Spirit. The whole Bible, this is the first time it's mentioned, Exodus chapter 31. And it's not a priest, it's not a Levite, it's not a religious person, it's a craftsman. God has recognized how this man, Bezalel, is his name, Bezalel, has developed his skill sets. He's a skilled craftsman, and God fills him with the Holy Spirit to be able to carry out his work for his glory. We glorify God when we develop our skill sets and we strive for excellence in those skills. We're just pointing back to the Creator. He's the one who created me to do this. Number eight, plan for the future. Plan for the future. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Proverbs 24, 27. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Now, earlier I talked about self-sufficiency and avoiding self-sufficiency. The idea that I can do it all on my own. 
But avoiding self-sufficiency and planning for the future are two different things. Planning for the future is honoring God by saying, you know what, Um, I'm going to take the resources you have blessed me with right now to think about a year down the road, to think about 5, 10, 30 years down the road. And God, I know that you may change all of my plans, but I'm thinking about how I can be a blessing and how I can serve you and glorify you with what you have blessed me with. The Bible talks about planning for the future. That's what Proverbs 24, 27 is all about there, about making sure we think about those years of drought, but also thinking about how we can still survive and support a family if we're not able to work anymore in the future. And you know, those plans might, might be futile, but it's still right for us to plan. Number nine, focus on the task at hand. Focus on the task at hand. Proverbs 28, verse 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Plenty of bread or plenty of poverty. And the difference is whether you're chasing worthless pursuits or not. Now, I'll be honest with you. I get distracted really, really easily sometimes, okay? I sit down to try to focus on something, and I have to work to focus on it. It, It's a struggle for me sometimes. But I see, I know, when I can't focus on the task at hand, I know how it affects everything else. That's how important it is for us to, whatever job it is, whatever we're doing, focus on the task at hand. Number 10, know your justification. Know your justification. You know, you can find justification in a whole lot of things. You can find, you can find it in, in your job itself. You can find it in the completion of a job, the money you earn from a job. You can find justification in your family, your education, anything. You've probably heard the saying, the end justifies the means. The end justifies the means. In other words, I can do whatever it takes to get the results that I want. I can do whatever I want to here to make sure I get to this point. But here's the deal. For the Christian, we already have a justification that takes this whole thing to a completely new level. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Our justification as Christians comes through Jesus and his finished work for us on the cross. Our justification for all of life is secured in that. We don't have to seek justification anywhere else. Because we are already ultimately winners. But this justification by faith in Jesus comes with certain expectations. Listen, you as a Christian may have found justification, but there's a whole lot of people around you who have not. They haven't come in contact with with that justification through faith in Jesus yet. And you're the best chance of them finding Jesus. So while your justification is secured, don't slack in in doing what is right and in doing it all to the best of your ability because there is still someone else out there who is seeking justification through their job or their education or the money that they make or whatever it is. But may they find justification for life through you. So let me boil all this down for just a second. 
we want to feel fulfilled in something. And we do find fulfillment in work. We do find fulfillment in completed jobs. And that's right. There is right to be prideful in that. But Christian, we've already been justified. We don't have to seek ultimate justification. It's already there. Man, what a blessing that is. Number 11, work for the glory of God. Work for the glory of God. So whether you eat, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whatever you set your mind to doing, whether it's teaching or a trade of some kind or working in a factory or banking or being a stay-at-home mom or something in the medical field or, or ministry, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, not for my glory, not to build myself up, but God, how can you get glory from this? And then number 12, cultivate your mission field. Cultivate your mission field. There was a pastor who once had a lady um, who visited his church, and, um, and he asked her, he said, how did you come to visit? And she told the pastor that she worked for a media company that was there in, in this town, and, um, and that she had made a huge mistake the week before, and she had cost the company an enormous amount of money. She said, I should have been fired for my mistake. She said, but about the time we realized what was going on, immediately my manager stepped up and he took the blame for what had happened. He said it was his fault that this had taken place and the fault lied in the fact that if he had trained her properly, that she never would have made that mistake. Now this is a popular supervisor and, and, and he, he was well liked by a lot of people for, for this reason, he had high character, but his reputation still took a hit. She told this pastor that she went into his office and she cried and cried and cried. And she said, why in the world did you do that? She said, you shouldn't have taken the fall for this. But he told her, he said, don't worry about it. Listen, it's all going to work out. It's going to be all right. And she's not used to that. She's used to a manager um, taking the credit for what she did right, but never taking the blame for what she did wrong. So she asked him, she said, why in the world did you do that? And his response, I did it because it was the right thing. And because that's what Jesus did for me. He took the fall I deserved. And she told this pastor, she said, I just simply had to find out more about this Jesus that he was talking about. So that's why I came to church. Now, this manager did what was right. But in doing what was right, he cultivated his mission field. Your workplace is a mission field no matter what that workplace is. I call you to the Great Commission. Jesus sends us out with these words. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, some of you are here this morning and you've worked, you, you have jobs that you work every single day. Um, others are students. Some of you are retired. But it doesn't matter what your vocation is or what stage in life you are in. You are called to make disciples as you go throughout whatever life God has called you in, what he's placed you in right now. So cultivate, turn up that mission field, no matter what your field is. 
So these are 12 things that I thought about as I, was, as I was looking at God's Word and what God's Word had to say about work this week. Labor Day is a, um, it's a day of resting from our jobs. But I pray that for you, it's also a day for you to reflect. So based on what we've talked about here today, based on what we've talked about, what God's Word has to say about work and worship, remember, together, Am I honoring God through my vocation or whatever stage God has me in right now? Am I honoring God through that? So I would encourage you to hold on to that list that you've got there in the handout and read it tomorrow, today, tomorrow. Think about, God, am I honoring you with this? And then adapt your life to make sure that you are honoring God with your work. And then I would say, listen, don't forget, as a Christian, you don't operate under your own power. You are operate through Christ's power in you. Right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you have to say about work. In our time here, we could talk about it for just a little while. Father, would you mold and shape our lives to where we honor you no matter what we do? And I know that I'm speaking to people here who do work jobs, some who are students, some who are retired, some who are stay-at-home moms. Father, whatever it is that you have called us to do, it is an opportunity to worship you through our faithfulness to our work. Lord, would you honor us as we honor you. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.